<laughs> You're welcome. <clears throat> this is a uh, this is week five of our sermon series on the book of Matthew, and uh, let me encourage you if you have not read the book of Matthew, start reading it today. And because uh, I I truly believe that if you will read the book of Matthew as we are going through this series, I believe that it will come to life. And I believe that you will see some things that you've not ever seen, and hopefully there are some things that you might have questions about that maybe I will touch on throughout this series. And so this is a, this is a great uh, time to read the book of Matthew. Let me encourage you to do that. I told you last week um, we will do a series on the Beatitudes this summer. And uh, so the reason why I bring that up is because normally in our, our series that we've been doing, I would talk about the Beatitudes. And and we'll completely unwrap each of those and their meanings this summer. So for today, I want to move to the next section. And, and many of you have heard many sermons in your lifetime, right? Uh, I was thinking about it this week, and I, for one, certainly have. I've even preached many sermons in my lifetime. And since I've been here, I have probably preached over 900 sermons. And in my lifetime, I've probably preached over 1,200 uh, to be conservative. Uh, some I will admit were good, and some I will admit they were definitely stinkers. And uh, and some of you are saying I remember those stinkers because you were here. And uh, but anyway, but there's one sermon that is by far the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever preached sermons. Amen. And his name was Jesus. And the sermon that I'm talking about is the Sermon on the Mount, and it begins in Matthew chapter five. Now, I'm, as I said, I'm not going to unwrap. Uh, the Beatitudes yet, but I do want to read uh, the beginning of the Beatitudes. I want to read the Beatitudes and tell you this. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, so this is the introduction. Verse 3 begins the Beatitudes, Okay. And I, like I said, I'm not going to unpack those here today. We will do a whole series on them this summer. But I want to read them to you because they are important to my text today. So we will begin reading at verse 3 and continue to verse 16. In the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to understand, Jesus teaches a large group of potential followers what it really means to follow him and be a part of God's kingdom. Look at verse 3. Okay, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is how Jesus begins his sermon here. There'll be attitudes. And as I said, there is a lot to unpack. I couldn't even begin to unpack to you all that is there uh, in, these, in, the, in these 10 verses. But I'm saving that for this summer. And so now look at verse 13. This is my text for today, verses 13 through 16. 
You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Can I just say that as I began to prepare for this message, the biggest question that came to my mind was, what is Jesus talking about? You are the salt of the earth. What is he talking about? And so I want to kind of unpack for you these, these four verses. And I believe, I'm hoping that I will be able to teach you something this morning that's completely different. Some things you may hear today and you may think, that's kind of gross. And some things you may hear today and you may go, wow. But I'm hoping that you will open up your mind to receive from this word today. I believe that this word will give you something new to think about. But in this passage of scripture, Jesus uses two metaphors to describe who his followers should be. One is salt and the other light. And both of these, we're about, we're, we're about to see uh, what it is. And, and this is what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us to be salt, and he's telling us to be light. Now, we don't become these two things by saying or doing anything. Do you hear me? There is nothing that we say or do to become these things, but we become these things just by being. Do you hear me? Now, what does he mean? And look at the first one. The first one's salt. In order to understand what Jesus is saying here in Matthew, you would have to be Jewish. Why? Because Matthew is a book written to the Jewish people. And Luke gives us Gentiles, all of us, a better look at salt. Can we go to Luke chapter 14 real quick just to give you a couple of verses here about salt. Luke 14 verse 34 and 35. Jesus said, salt is good but loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soul nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Now let me, let me just unfold this. Let me unwrap this for you for just a second so you can understand this just a little bit better. Many ministers think of this as salt like we have on the dinner table to season food, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. The key word here to show what Jesus is telling us is the word earth. Okay? Earth. Jesus tells us you are the salt of the earth. That's what he's telling us. The Jewish people would understand this metaphor because what they would do is they would go out to the Dead Sea, they would scrape up the salt from the Dead Sea, and they would use it for two things. The Dead Sea had a high potassium rate and not much sodium. I believe I saw a, a thing where, where the uh, Dead Sea salt only had about 6% sodium. Dead Sea salt's not something that you would season food with. You can't even consume it. It's something that what a lot of people do today is they go out and they actually use it to, uh, for their skin and, and because it has such a high uh, potassium rate in it. Any gardener knows that a good fertilizer contains uh, three, a, mi a good mix of three things, phosphates, nitrates, and potassium. 
So the Jewish people would place the salt from the Dead Sea in the ground to fertilize the soil. The second thing that they would use it for is to put on human waste. They would go outside in the back area. They would have a hole in the ground. They would empty their bowels, and next to that hole was salt. And they would take a cup or a handful of salt, and they would put it on uh, the waste in the ground, and that, that would be used as a disinfectant. That is why Jesus says in Luke, it is neither for the soul nor for the manure pile. The saltiness. If it loses its saltiness, it's for neither one. Salt would be used for fertilizer or as a disinfectant or manure. Salt promotes the good things you want to grow. Hear me this. And it prohibits the bad things that you don't want. Do you hear me? Can I say that again? Salt promotes the good things you want to grow, fertilizer, and it promotes the bad things that you don't want, disinfectant. And that is why when Jesus tells us that you are the salt of the earth, he is saying you are to stop bad things from growing and you are to promote good things that are wanted there. Not by saying or doing anything, but by being totally different from the environment. Now think about table salt for just a moment. Just a little will do in the kitchen to season food, right? You just need a little bit of salt. Just you don't need if you get too much salt, what happens? The food's terrible, you throw it out. That tastes awful. You just need a little bit. You see, the difference between that salt and this salt was they would have to get a large amount of salt for the fertilizer. Or they would have to get a lot of uh, salt for the disinfectant. It took a lot of salt. It wasn't just a little bit would do you. And they would go out and they would dredge the Dead Sea. They would get up a lot of salt and they'd bring it back to the house and they used it for these two things. That concept means that we need more than just a few in society being Christian or being salt. We don't have enough salt. Amen? We don't have enough people being salt. In society, think about it this way. We need about 5% of us to be salt to start reversing social trends. And here's another thing. Salt is no good in the box, is it? If you leave salt in the box, it doesn't do anything for you. It has to be in direct contact in the dirt to be of use. Salt operates by presence, not absence. And as long as we are in a church service like this, we cannot be salt of the earth because we are out of contact with the dirt. It takes 5% salt all locked in direct physical contact. Think about a factory for a moment. If 5% of us are salt, the talk changes. Do you hear me? In your place of business, in your place where you work, wherever you work at, if 5% of you are salt, the atmosphere changes in that place. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's why it's so important that we as Christians, why we as believers become the salt that Jesus was talking about. Because if we're not the salt that Jesus is telling us about and we lose our saltiness, then we are no good to the earth. We are no good to the world. To the world. If we all worked in Christian environments, where would the salt be making the change to the dirt of this earth, of this world? Now, there's nothing wrong with Christian schools or Christian 
workplaces or, or all these things. There's nothing wrong with them. But if the salt is not associating with those that are lost and hurting, then we cannot change the world. We need quality salt in direct physical contact. It must be salty. It cannot lose its saltiness. How does it lose its saltiness? Well, it loses its saltiness by being adulterated with other substances. You see, when they would go out to the Dead Sea and they would gather the salt from the Dead Sea, they would gather the salt and the sand would get mixed in with it. And when the salt has other substances mixed in with it, it loses its saltiness. Why it's so important for Christians to be different. Do you hear what I'm saying? And when we allow the things of the world to get mixed in with the things of God, we lose our saltiness. Christians will influence the world if they are different from the world. Do you hear me? Christians will influence the world if they are different from the world. Now I heard David Paulson, a British minister, he said this. I don't know if he was the one who said it originally, but I heard him say it, and he said this, the church, the lifeboat, should be in the sea. But when the sea gets into the lifeboat, you are in trouble. You see, it's not that we don't have enough salt, but the salt we do have is losing its saltiness very rapidly. We are losing it by allowing society to creep in. Are we called to be credible or are we called to be different? Do you hear me? Are we called to be what they want us to be or are we called to be different who God wants us to be? We have to be salt to this world. We should be leading society into a better way, not following their way. Because once you lose saltiness, you can't get it back again. What is saltiness? Remember what I read to you in the Beatitudes? Remember I read the Beatitudes before I began this portion of the sermon? To be poor in spirit means to be despised by the world, to be completely dependent on God. The world wants to stand up for themselves. The Beatitude is completely opposite of what the world says. If you're going to be salt, then verse 11 is certain to happen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 I told you, says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You see, when you decide to be salt, you really have to have faith to believe that your reward is in heaven because you won't have it in this world. And the next metaphor that Jesus uses is light. And you know, light has two aspects to it. It has a negative aspect, it has a positive aspect. Negative is to expose bad ways or to show people up. And positive is to exhibit a better way. Neither way will make you popular. Amen? Now here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And then if you go over to John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus speaks of himself as the light of the world. This is the only time that he points to the disciple and to himself as being the same thing. He tells them, you are the light of the world. He says to the people, I am the light of the world. He didn't say that about salt. He didn't say that he was salt. And look at John chapter 8, verse 12. He said, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, in order to understand what Jesus was saying here, you have to look at the context that this was 
set in. In the verses before this statement, we read about the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And they tell Jesus, they bring this woman to Jesus and they tell him, say, hey, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses says that we got to stone her. I ain't talking about going out and puffing and passing. I'm talking we got to take some stones and we got to stone this woman. She's got to go down. See, but Jesus, not only did he know the law of Moses, but he knew the law of Rome as well. And the law of Rome, it forbid executions held by Jews. The religious leaders thought they had Jesus trapped, but Jesus knew the Rome law that said they couldn't do anything like that. So Jesus, what does he do? He just bends down, he just starts writing in the dust. And some people wonder, well, man, what was Jesus writing? I wonder what he was writing. Why was it so, can I tell you, it don't matter what Jesus wrote, just the fact that he wrote in the ground is what's important. Jesus just writes in the dust with his finger. And each one of the teachers and Pharisees knew what that meant. They knew exactly what that meant. To a Jew, that is a claim to be God. Him writing in the dirt was Jesus saying, I'm God. And by Jesus writing in the dirt, he was telling them that he was God. It was basically Jesus saying, hey, I wrote the Ten Commandments. I know what they say. And Jesus would come to that conclusion, or the Jews would come to that conclusion just by him writing in the dirt. And people have often wondered, like I said, what was he writing? Like I said, it don't matter what he wrote. It's the fact that he wrote. And it got the teachers and the Pharisees' attention. And then Jesus reminded them of another law that said no one can be a witness if they committed the same crime. Because look at what he said in verse 7. He says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up to them. Any one of you who's without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. And let me, let me clear this up just a little bit. Notice he doesn't say all sins, but without sin. He's saying those that have committed the same sin. The law says if any of the witnesses had committed the same sin as the one being accused, when they couldn't be a, then, then they couldn't be a witness to the stoning. Think about that for a moment. So they were dismissed on the basis of the law, and one by one, each of them left. So they all must have committed the sin of adultery. Jesus was the only one left. And the law said there had to be two or three witnesses. So therefore, the case was dismissed. And that is why Jesus told her, go and don't do it again. In other words, I may not be here to help you out the next time. He was showing them, I know the law better than you. I wrote the law. <laughs> and then he says in John chapter 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And what he's saying is that, he's saying to that woman, is, would, would have, he, she would have never gone into that situation if she had followed him. You see, the situation that she was in was moral darkness, and all the men that accused her were living in moral darkness. And if you follow him, if you follow Jesus, you don't get into that kind of darkness. That's why it's so 
That's why we are to be different. That's why we are to be apart from the world. If we are the same as the world, then there's no light to show the world the way. Do you hear me? We must be different. And if you took a walk down a path at night, it's going to be hard to see where you're going without a light, isn't it? And the same goes for us in today's society. If the church and the world look the same, then there's no one to shine the light and to lead the way. So the only action that we have to do is to put ourselves on a lampstand. We deliberately put ourselves in public view. That's what it says by our text today, verse 15 and 16. Neither people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. If you hide your light, then it's no use to anyone else. We are to be seen for having a higher standard of living. Not material, but moral. Good actions is being good, not doing good. Do you hear me? It's about being it's what it is. It's not about doing good works or de good deeds or any of that. And then, then what does Jesus go on and tell us? The rest of his sermon is about a higher standard of living. If you read the next several chapters after this passage, chapter 6 and 7, and maybe I think that sermon ends after 7, but if you read all of that, the rest of his sermon is about a higher standard of living. Look at some of these topics, man. He covers murder begins in the heart, adultery in the heart, marriage is sacred and binding, love your enemies, lay up treasures in heaven, fasting to be seen only by God. You cannot serve God in riches. Do not worry. That's a big one, isn't it? Keep asking, seeking, knocking. The narrow way, you will know them by their fruits. Build on the rock. These are some tough topics. It is not natural. Listen. It is not natural for anyone to live like this. It is supernatural. Do you hear me? It's a separate standard of living. We cannot continue to live the same way we've always lived and just expect different results. The church cannot be silent no more. We cannot be on the same level as everyone else. We must be raised to another standard of living. We must move to another standard of living. Why Jesus said to let them see how you live and glorify your Father in heaven. Have you noticed that he talks about worry in this sermon more than any other topic? Why is that? It's because it is natural to worry. It's natural for us to worry. It's not supernatural. Can you imagine how much influence you as a Christian would have if everyone said, man, I want to be a Christian. Christians never worry. How awesome would that be? What kind of influence would you have? And the truth is, we don't need to worry because He cares more for us than the birds in the air or the lilies of the field. God takes care of all your needs. You won't get everything you want, but He will definitely supply all your needs. Amen? Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Amen? Hallelujah. Jesus fixed moral standards higher 
than everybody else, but what he then did was he lifted people to that standard. Do you hear me? What the church in our country is doing today is we are lowering the standard to meet the people. And this is not going to be light and salt. Do you hear me? This is not going to be light and salt. Jesus is quite clear that being the light is going to be unpopular. He went on to say, I am the light of the world. And because I am, you hate me and you want to kill me. Jesus knew that being the light is a very costly thing. Standing for what you know to be right and true is painful and it's very unpopular. Yet that is what it is to be light in the world of darkness. Amen. We must be different. We must be raised to a different standard of living. Salt and light are not what you say and do, but they are what you are. And they only work when you're in direct contact with a world that's in darkness and dirt. And we need a certain amount for it to work. And we need a quality that is totally different. Do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus is telling you that you are the salt of the earth. And he's telling you that you are the light of the world. And those are two unpopular things. But in order to be a disciple of Christ, you must be both. Amen? It's time we move to Christ's standard. It's time we move to Christ's standard. What are you going to do? Are you going to rise up to be at the standard that Christ set for us? Or are you going to bring the standard down to fit in the box that the people want us to be at? It's time that we be salt and light. And I promise you, it's not a popular thing, as you can tell nowadays, right? It's not a popular thing. But it's time to come out from among the crowd and move to the standard that Christ has set for us. I want to go to another level. Amen? I don't want to stay down here on this little easy level. I want to move to a different standard. I want to move to a higher level of living. And if you will go, and if you will be salt, and if you will be light, and I promise you, then, the, then the, if, if people around you become salt and light, guess is what's going to happen. You're raising the standard. So guess what? They're moving up to your standard now instead of bringing you down. It's a lot more easier to be down here on the other standard because, see, that's natural. That's natural because everybody's doing it, right? You remember in, 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 when you was young, everybody said, well, if everybody jumped off the bridge, would you do it? And the, the truth is we probably would, wouldn't we? Why? Because everybody was doing it. It was easy. And we raise the standard and we decide to be where God places us at and where God wants us to be, that's when we become far different and far greater and far better than anything we can imagine. And that's why we raise the others to that standard to be with us so that we are making a difference. We are truly being salt and we are being light to the world and to the dirt of this world. Amen? Can we pray? Let's stand. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord Jesus. Lord, I come to you right now.